I messed up the other day and forgot to pay my credit card bill. The big credit card bill. It would be, of course, the big credit card bill, the one with Christmas and uh, travel expenses and some other major purchases on it. That would be the one that I forgot to pay. And, and I don't have a good excuse. We had the money. I mean, in fact, that's one of our rules is that if we don't have the money to pay for it, then we don't put it on the credit card because otherwise you get into the kind of trouble um, that we have gotten ourselves into because of, because of my error. Um, what happened is the, the bill just came in and it got uh, mis, uh, uh, filed in a stack of other junk mail on, or in a stack of junk mail on our table and I forgot to pay it. So it was my mistake and unfortunately that, that comes with it. Uh, along with that comes some, some uh, penalties. One of them is we pay an interest bill for, for everything that wasn't part of that, uh, that, that, that wasn't paid for that, that month. So we, we got hit with a big interest bill because of that big uh, set of uh, purchases. But the other thing we got is we got put in the doghouse, you know, the, the credit card uh, penalty box where now we have to run uh, no balance at all for some period of time in order to not be paying uh, the, on, on the paying interest on the daily balance. So, so we're in the doghouse and it's, it's unfortunate and, you know, there's a lesson for you if you're not good with your credit cards. Uh, sometimes I'm not either and so my bad. But I, I bring this up not because I want to lecture you about, um, about credit cards. I just gave you a perfectly good reason to understand why I'm not someone who's in a position to lecture. The reason I do this is because I want to talk about covenants and contracts today. Covenants are things that we read about in the Bible and contracts aren't, but we do understand contracts. We understand the way credit card agreements go. We understand that, that all the things I talked about, the, the, the doghouse that you get put into and the interest penalties and so forth that you pay are all part of the contract that I have with the credit card company. That if I, if I do this, then they will do that. That's the way that the credit card agreement works. And as long as I pay my, my uh, bills, then they will continue to extend me credit. So that's the way the contract works. And uh, we understand that. And really, that's the big idea behind a covenant, too. There, there's some distinctions, and you can, you can draw little, little uh, uh, tease out some nuances that make them different. But basically, a covenant has a lot in common with a contract. It's an agreement that, that, um, that you will do this, and the other party will do that. So uh, that's, that's the reason I brought up the credit card, because it's something that helps us to communicate about covenants. And... Normally, when we think about co- contracts or uh, co- covenants both, uh, what we're thinking about is what happens if we fail to keep our part of the deal. That, that if I don't pay my, my credit card bill in full on the day that it's due, then I'm going to get hit with these penalties and so forth. We think about what happens if I do less than the contract requires. And uh, we, we understand that that's the, way, that's the way the world works, particularly when the contract involves finances, that there's a penalty or something like that. If we don't, if we don't fulfill our part of the deal, then we will get hit with some kind of a penalty. If we don't pay our rent, then eventually, what, you know, not, not that first moment, but eventually we will get evicted. If we don't pay our utilities, then eventually the lights will go off. So we understand that's the way contracts work. And, and so we, we tend to look at them from the perspective of what happens if I don't fulfill my end of the, of the agreement. 
What we, what we usually don't think about is, what if I do more than my part of the agreement? What if I do more than the agreement says? And, and uh, I, was, I was trying to think, do we ever do that? And, and the one thing I could think of is when you, when you um, have a mortgage, sometimes you might make uh, payments ahead of time. Maybe you do 13 payments a, a year instead of 12 or something like that, because the way your mortgage is structured, the those extra payments will go toward principal rather than toward interest or something like that. Sometimes there are occasions, sometimes here, you know, in, in the world of contracts where we might want to do, we might, might want to overperform. We might want to do more than what is in the contract. And I was thinking about that because usually we do less, but what if we do more? And if we extend that question, what happens in the area of covenants, particularly a covenant between, uh, between people and God, what, what happens then? What happens if you do more? Now, I have to say, you know, I, I have trouble paying my credit card bill, so, so I'm, not, I'm not talking as if I was in a position to do that. Um, uh, and, and if you thought so, check with my family. They will tell you that, no, I'm not in a position to do more than the, the covenant requires. But what if somebody else was? What if, what if Jesus is? Because that's really the question that we wrestle with as, as uh, uh, Christians. What happens if Jesus overperformed? What happens if Jesus did more than the covenant required? That's the topic we're looking at today um, as, we, as we wrap up our conversation drawn from the, the, the letter to the Hebrews. We've been, we've been in this uh, uh, study now for the last couple of weeks. Um, it's called the letter to the Hebrews. We don't know if it was actually a letter or maybe some kind of a sermon or something like that. And we actually don't even know if it was to Hebrews, but that's, that's the early name that the church gave it. And so we're going to continue to call it that. But we've been in this, in this um, uh, uh, conversation drawn from the, this New Testament document called the letter to the Hebrews. And we've been learning a lot about... Um, about Jesus, that, that what the writer is at pains to tell us is the ways that Jesus is bigger and better than uh, what came before. Jesus is, 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 a, better, is a better person uh, than, than the, the people who've come before. He is closer to God. He is, he is in every way better than what came before. So we've been looking at that, and one of the ways we've been, we've been seeing that Jesus is better is that he's bigger than our problems. Jesus is, is bigger than the problems we worry about. So we talked about how Jesus, whatever our problems may be, whatever the nature of our problems, Jesus is better. We talked about the way that um, Jesus is, is better than the angels. That, um, that that tells us that whatever our, our um, expectations are, that because Jesus became one of us, that, that Jesus' plans for us is not simply that we would become like angels, we would actually become better. Jesus has won for us a better salvation than simply escaping. It's not like we're going to av- uh, avoid the, the punishment that comes um, on the earth. It's actually better than that because Jesus has won a better salvation. Jesus will actually uh, uh, change the the, the, the earth so that the problems in the earth are no longer part of it, that, that Jesus says he would make all things new. So we've been learning all the different ways that Jesus is better. And one of the things we learned last week is that Jesus is a better priest. Jesus is a better intermediary. He, he connects us to God better than the people had before. So that's, that's kind of where we left off. And today we're going to look at the question, what, what then? If Jesus has, has been a better priest, if he offers better sacrifices, if he's better in all these different ways, what does that mean for us? What is the, what is the impact of Jesus being better? And so we're going to look at the, uh, the, 
the letter to the Hebrews, and just like last week, there's too much for us to go through it um, uh, carefully. So instead, we're going to skim through and, and get the gist of it. So um, we're looking at uh, three chapters in the, the letter to the Hebrews, but we're only going to look at a handful of verses. So, so we begin, we pick things up pretty much where we left off last week. Well, last week we looked at uh, four, chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7. We're going to pick it up early in chapter 8 this time. And in it, uh, we read that um, the, the writer says, But now Jesus has received a superior priestly service, just as he arranged a better covenant that is enacted with better promises. So again, what we've been hearing over and over again, whatever, whatever anybody else did, Jesus has done better. So, so that's not uh, a surprise to us. But it says Jesus um, has arranged a better covenant that is enacted with better promises. So what, what does he mean by that? Well, he goes on in the next verse and says this. He says, if the first covenant had been without fault, it wouldn't have made sense to expect a second. So uh, something was uh, faulty in the first, in the first covenant, and, uh, and so Jesus was able to arrange a better covenant with a better promise. So what does he mean by that? What was the first covenant, and what made it faulty? So in chapter 9, he's going to answer the first question, what was the covenant? So uh, we're going to skip all the way to verse 13 of chapter 9. And in it, he says, If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkled ashes of cows, if, if those sacrifices was enough to make spiritually contaminated people holy and clean... So he's saying the sacrificial system, the idea that, that, uh, that sacrifices are performed on behalf of people in order to make... Um, in order to make spiritually contaminated people holy and clean. So that is the first covenant, the sacrificial system that's given as part of the, the law um, at Mount Sinai. Moses came down and he had the, the sacrificial law. That is, that is the first covenant. So um, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, he, he goes on and says, if that was sufficient, if that was what we had uh, under the old covenant, how much more... Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Jesus wash our consciences clean from dead works in order to serve the living God? So he says that if, if the sacrifices of, of animals was, was enough, how much more will Jesus be? So he says, he says, he, Jesus, offered himself to God through the eternal spirit as a sacrifice without any flaw. So... What, what makes Jesus, uh, the, the sacrifice that Jesus brings, a better sacrifice? And so he answers it in, in verse 14. He says, he offered himself to God. So, uh, as we've been talking about before, uh, the idea of a sacrifice is, is a really complicated theological topic, but the, the basic idea isn't hard. It's actually something we understand because we use the word sacrifice the same way. It means to, to give up something that is good in exchange for something better, that I want something better, so I'm willing to make a sacrifice in this particular area. So we understand it at that level. And um, the, the idea here is that I, have, I, I want a better relationship with God more than I want this particular animal. So that's the basic idea of a, of a sacrifice under the sacrificial system. So he's saying, um, if I gave something even better, if something even better were presented to God as a sacrifice, then presumably that would be, that, that would, that would um, uh, the, the result of that would be something 
better still. So what makes this a better sacrifice? Well, he says, uh, verse 14, he says, he offered himself to God. See, an animal doesn't do that. An animal is is an unwilling partner to the to the sacrificial system that, that goats and and heifers and all these other things that were part of the sacrificial system they didn't get a vote it just came down from Mount Sinai and it said go go sacrifice a goat on the mountain or whatever and that was the way that the sacrificial system worked whereas Jesus made that decision by himself he decided to to make a sacrifice of himself to God so he offered himself to God through the eternal spirit. So, this is another thing that Jesus was able to do because because he is God, because he is God in human form, he understands the purposes that are that are behind the Old Testament, the 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 sacrificial system of the Old Old Testament. He doesn't just understand the rules, he understands what God was getting at in enacting those rules. He he through the spirit, he actually is aligned with the purposes of God. So Jesus is better than 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 um, than uh, another sacrifice might be. Even if Christianity uh, supported the idea of human sacrifice, humans aren't in a position to understand the mind of God. Jesus could, but nobody else could. So that's why we don't. I mean, it's 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 among the reasons we don't have an idea of human sacrifice. So so Jesus was able through the eternal um, uh, Spirit to be in a position. To, to offer himself with full understanding of why that was a good thing. And then lastly, he was a sacrifice without any flaw. Jesus was a sacrifice without any flaw. What does that mean? Well, again, the idea of a sacrifice is I'm giving up something that's good, not something that's bad. Uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a farming context, the idea is not that I have um, a goat that is, is maimed or, or you know, it's the runt of the litter or something like that, that I'm just getting rid of it and you know, getting something good in exchange. I'm actually giving the best animals, that, that I bring the, 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 the show quality animals to, to make them sacrifices. That is, that is the idea. And Jesus is, is, a better, is without flaw in the, in the way that matters. And this has to do with the idea, because the animals are not willing partners to this process, they just get, they just get co-opted. Uh, but, but if a human were to be a sacrifice, their, their flaw would not be a question of, you know, you're the runt of the litter or you're, you're, you know, you've got a, um, a physical defect of some kind. The problem with humans is that we're, we're sinful creatures. Animals aren't sinful creatures. That, um, uh, we, we had the opportunity last fall to visit um, a, a sanctuary farm uh, that is a, a project of some, some vegans we know. Some of you know them too, Rachel and Mike. And it was, a, it was an eye-opening experience, but one of the ways it was eye-opening is that animals sometimes do terrible things, that, that animals can, be, uh, uh, can, can relate to one another in ways that if they were humans, you'd say, that's really terrible. But, but it's not terrible. It's just animals being animals. It's, it's what they do. That they aren't sinful when they do these things because they are being the animals that God made them to be. That when a lion eats a wildebeest, that's a lion being a lion. And there's nothing sinful about that. But humans, God made us to be uh, without sin, and yet we do sin. So uh, our, our big flaw is not, is not that we're, we're stunted or something like that. Our big flaw is that we aren't who God made us to be. But Jesus was without sin. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because he was without sin. So, so that's, that's what makes Jesus 
a, a good sacrifice. And because of that, Jesus has overpaid. He's, he's, he's overfulfilled the, the terms of the sacrificial system. Jesus has, has done what, what I didn't do with my credit card. Jesus has done more than what the requirements are. So, so that's chapter 9. Uh, what, what, was, what was the old system? And uh, the other question we had is, what was wrong with it? What was the fault that the writer speaks about? He talks about if there hadn't been a fault, why would you need a new, sacri- uh, a new system? And the answer to that we're, we're going to find in, um, in uh, chapter 10, where we read that, uh, we read, uh, starting in verse 11 of chapter 10, uh, we read, Every priest stands every day serving and offering the same sacrifices over and over, sacrifices that can never take away sins. So, uh, what, what does he mean by that? He means that the way the sacrificial system worked is that there was this daily schedule of, uh, of, of sacrifices, that, that the, the priests who were part of the sacrificial system, they would offer these on a continual basis, and they had to, they had to uh, keep doing the work. And it doesn't mean that those, those sacrifices weren't effective. The problem is that people kept sinning, that... that um, that you know, I bring my goat, and now I'm I'm purified from my sin. But how long will that last? Uh, you know, that particular sin has now been covered over with the sacrifice of the goat. But but how long will it be until I sin again? And um, will it be you know later today? Will it be next week? Will it be a month from now? But the the likelihood is that I will sin again. So. So the problem is the priest has to continually offer these sacrifices, if not for me, then for my neighbor. And so there's this continual process of sacrifices. And that's the problem, is that the sacrifices can never take away sins. They can, they can cleanse us from those sins, but they don't change who we are. They don't change um, us to people who, who no longer sin. But he contrasts that. So... so um, the priests who stand and, and offer these sacrifices every day in verse 11, but he contrasts them in verse 12. He says, but when this priest, when Jesus, the, the, the greater priest, the better priest, when this priest offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. He's done. He can, he can take a load off. He's, he no longer has to stand and continue to offer sacrifices. His priestly work is finished. Since then, he's waiting until his enemies are made into a footstool for his feet. So uh, the idea there, and, and it's too much for us to explore here, but, but the idea is that Jesus is, is going to return and complete the work of salvation. That, that hasn't happened yet, that, that uh, this is still a world in which sin exists. It's still possible for sin to tempt us, and it's still possible for us to, to uh, give in to it. It's, it's possible for us to say, you know what, I'm just going to, to do that. So, so, so um, his enemies, the, the, the causes, the sources of sin and suffering, have not yet been made a footstool for his feet. That will happen at the end of this age, but it hasn't happened yet. So, so Jesus has sat down until he returns. But in the meantime, verse 14, he perfected the people who are being made holy with one offering for all time. Jesus has perfected the people who are being made holy. There's, there's a fascinating thing in, in the way that that is written. The, the writer uses two different tenses of the verb. He says, he, says, he has. Je- Jesus has perfected us. That, 
that that's an accomplished fact that Jesus has perfected us. Who, who has he perfected? The people who are still being made holy. There's this uh, paradoxical character to it that, that what Jesus has done has been effective. We have been perfected. And yet, sin is still in the world. We are still being made holy. We are still um, uh, sometimes uh, exposed to sin, and, and we call that temptation. We are still sometimes, we, we actually give in to sin. And so there's this idea we are at, at the same time perfected and still being made holy. So, so the idea here is that, is that um, what Jesus has done is effective. And yet at the same time, the, the, uh, this world still has sources of sin in it. So, so what, does that, what do we do with that? You know, we, we started with the question, what if, you, what if you do more than the requirements of the, the contract? What if you do more than the requirements of the covenant? And the answer is, uh, you perfect people. That, that the perfection that Jesus has um, through his sacrifice is actually credited to us, that we become perfect um, in, in the eyes of God. And yet at the same time, the world still has sin in it. So, what does that mean? Well, if you will let me return to my credit card analogy, it, it, it means this. It means we have the money. We could pay the bill, right? The bill has arrived. We could pay the bill. We may mess up. We may forget. But the money's there. It's not a question of not having the money. Sometimes the reason we don't pay our credit card bill is because we're overextended. We actually don't have the money. That's the situation of humanity with sin, is that we, we in, in, in our state before, before Christ, we did not have the money. We could not pay the bill. That, that we were not perfect. Um, so so the, the, the idea and the analogy is that is that now we can. Because of what Jesus has done, we have the money. We have been perfected. So, that's, that's an accomplished thing. We could pay the bill. And yet, at the same time, sometimes we won't. Sometimes we won't pay the bill. And so, what are the consequences of that? Well, the difference between Jesus and a credit card company is you don't go into the penalty box. You don't, you don't pay a huge interest bill. That, that, that is a sin, and, and yes, it, it occurred, but Jesus has already taken care of it. So, so the analogy shows the difference between, between the, the worldly contracts we're a part of and the covenant, that this, this new, better covenant that Jesus has, has um, arranged for us and, and secures with better promises. That now, when we sin... We should still not sin. We should, we should pay our credit card bill. And, and he has given us what we need so that we can. But if we do, there aren't penalties. God is not up in heaven, you know, keeping score with a, with a you know, uh, a pad says, up, they, they messed up. That, that that's the idea, is that there isn't a penalty. You don't go into the penalty box. You don't go into the doghouse. You don't get hit with a daily penalty because of it. So, so that is the distinction. Jesus has won for us that, that yes, there is still sin in the world, and yes, sometimes we will give in to it. Not because we have to, but because, because we're fallible, because, because we make mistakes, because the bill sits there on the kitchen table and we miss it in all the other junk mail.
So that's the situation we're in. So what do we do with this? Well, the first, the first thing we do with it is we try to pay the bill. And, and if we've been in the habit of saying, but I don't have enough money, I can't pay the bill, I can't resist that sin. There's no way I can, that, that sin has overcome me. The idea is, well, how do you know? Why don't you, you know, write the check? Why don't you make the EFT, right? See what happens. Maybe you have more in there than you appreciate because Jesus has perfected us. That's, that's the idea, is that the first thing we should do is we should pay the bill. Now, the second thing is, what happens if we, if we forget? What happens if we miss the bill? What happens if we just mess up? The answer is to forgive. A, to, to, to forgive. First, we forgive ourselves. We let ourselves off the mat because God is not up in heaven keeping score. God has already kept all the score he ever needs to do with Jesus. And now it's a question of us being made holy. So, we forgive. We start by forgiving ourselves. We say, I'm going to let you off the mat because you made a mistake. And that's where it ends. The other thing we do is we let other people off the mat. If, if, if Christ has forgiven us, if we can be forgiven, why can't we do the same for other people? Why don't we let other people off the mat too? So we, we cultivate in ourselves an attitude of forgiveness. That, that God is not a credit card company who's going to live for people messing up. That that's, that's where they get their, their annual bonus. God isn't like that. God forgives those debts. And we should do the same thing. The second thing we should do is we should forgive, uh, we should forgive other people. But um, the, the other thing we need to do is we need to spread that good news. Because the people, the people that we're forgiving may not realize that that this is something that Christ has done for them, that they have been perfected. Maybe all they ever experience is, is I, forget my, I forget to pay my bills or I don't even pay my bills because I don't have the money. That, that people don't know what Christ has done. So we can spread the good news. We can say there's, there's a new covenant in town. It's got a whole new relationship. You know, the same way we would do, if we got a, if we got a better credit card with better, better terms, we might tell people about that. We can do the same thing with the covenant that Jesus has won for us. So we can spread the good news. And one of the ways we can do that is very tangibly. Because, because this is a world where there's still sin. There's still brokenness and, and heartache in this world. So one of the things we can do is we can support people who have problems paying their real bills. There are people who have trouble paying their utilities or their credit card bill or, their, or, or whatever it is. And, and we, can, we, can, we can model what Christ has done for us by helping them. One of the things this church has done for, for the whole time I've been here is, is have a benevolence ministry where people call up and say, you know, I've got this situation, I can't pay my light bill or something. And this church is often able to help them. So that's something we can do that's a tangible sign that points to the big thing that Christ has done for us. That, that's one of the ways we can spread the good news about the better, the better covenant and the better promises. Uh, we do the same thing with our, with our food ministry. We know there's people who cannot afford the food they need for their family this month. And so we support the Lutheran Social Services um, a food bank up in Spinard. We support the... Um, the uh, mobile food pantry here in um, Jewel Lake. And so these are things we do, um, not just because they're, they're good things to do in themselves, but because they also are a further evidence of the, the character of God, that acting as God's people, we demonstrate the, the forgiveness and the, the, 
the unsuspected resources to meet people's needs. We do this um, because we believe that Jesus has perfected us. Jesus has perfected us, and yet we are still being made holy. Jesus is better. Jesus is, is bigger and better than anything else we know. He's bigger than our problems. He's bigger than the angels. He's won a better salvation, and he is a better priest who has, who has opened up new access to God. But most of all, Jesus has arranged a better covenant. A better covenant, a covenant based on forgiveness and, uh, and, and a new approach to accounting than the one we, we might have thought God was up to. Jesus is better. Let's live in the knowledge of the new covenant. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for the ways that Jesus has, has shown himself um, throughout this, this letter of, uh, the, to, to the Hebrews, the ways that Jesus is better. But especially today, Lord, we thank you for the knowledge of this better covenant, the covenant where, where we have already been perfected, even as we're aware of the ways that we are still being made holy. Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust that we can actually pay the bills, that, that we have been made perfect, that we can lean into that and trust you in that. But Lord, when we, when we forget, when we, when we mess up, Lord, we pray that you would um, uh, help us to, to appropriate the forgiveness that we already have in Christ. Help us to, to forgive ourselves and to, to model that with other people around us, Lord. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.